We are recording now. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... H's Comics. Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Hello, lovely people, and welcome to this, the third chapter in the Knight's Quest saga. If you can hear a noise in the background, that's our tortoise eating. It was the cat. Oh, was that the cat sneezing? Yeah. God, it's like a menagerie in here, isn't it? I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And I'm Anya Leyland. Yay, there you go. We, we have a special guest just for that little bit. I don't think she'll be in the rest of the show. Uh, first of all, I would like to put out a public thank you to Mr. Dave Walker, who sent me my first freebie that this show has netted me. He sent you a freebie? Yes. What did you do to him? I didn't do anything to it. And he gave he, he, gave, he had an issue with the flash that I didn't have. He sent it to me. For free? Yes. Thank you very much, Dave. It, no, you got to do a favour for me whenever I want you. No, 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 none of that. Dave does the new Flash Legacies podcast, of which the first episode is already up, and I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. About Wally West. Okay. And seeing as they're the issues that I've been picking up in the 50p bins, it tied well, in nicely. If it's Flash Legacies, would, would he have to start from the beginning? Uh, the, well, no, he's talking about the legacy of the Flash, so technically he could just do Wally West. Oh, okay. And well, then but, maybe but Bart. In that case, why not start, if it's the legacy of the Flash, why not start with Jay Garrett? Maybe he can't be arsed going all the way back to the 1940s legacy. to talk about Jay Garrick. If you talk about Legacy, then it was Jay Garrick that inspired Barry Allen, that inspired Wally West. I don't know! Don't confuse me this early in the morning! It is very early when we record this, because I'm on half-term holiday, and so is Michael. Mm. Yes. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought now. Are we just going to go? Passengers died in that train. Yes. Are we just going to go straight to the issues then? We have no preamble today. We're not doing emails because these episodes are running quite long as it is. I don't have anything interesting to say. I rarely so have anything interesting to say. Shelf. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering if I'd bought something that was worth talking about, but no. Uh, so we're going to kick straight off today's episode with Catwoman number six. I can't believe you've got an issue with Catwoman. I've got about four issues of Catwoman now. I've got six and seven, the zero issue and the zero hour issue. Anyway, I can honestly say that prior to this, Catwoman was a book I'd never read. And before we decided to do this show, this was a chapter of Night's Quest that I'd never read. So it can't be that important to the overall story arc, yeah. can it? If I'd never read it, I'd never missed it. There was a few later on where you missed a bit. Yeah, but I picked all them up. Apart from one, I still don't have Legends of the Dark Knight issue 60. So if wait, anyone wait. knows where I can get... No, I'm seriously, I've been looking for that on eBay, I can't find it. Okay. It's not in any of the comic show bins that I've looked at. I don't want to pay 400 quid for it, obviously. That would be ridiculous. 400 quid? No, I was just making that figure up after the joke about what was 400 quid. Uh, One okay. of the Punisher hardcovers was on Amazon for 400 quid. Mm. And we said, not a chance, not paying that. Um, these were in the 50p events, Catwoman 6 and 7. So I picked them up because they were part of Knight's Quest. The cover of issue 6 shows Catwoman wearing her purple figure-hugging outfit with black thigh-length boots and bingo wing-length gloves which was the costume she was wearing at the time, carrying a barrel of toxic materials whilst the spectre of the Batman hangs in the background. I thought this was an exceptionally well-coloured cover, and I quite like this Catwoman costume. Not sure about purple, but at least her her chest isn't hanging out of it like it does in Arkham City. That was your mum's big criticism of that when I started to play that game, Mm. wasn't it? Why has Catwoman got her boobs out? And it's like, because it's an adolescent boy audience. 
And she said, but Catwoman's sexy without having her it boobs is, out. Especially later on when her costume gets all ripped up. Does it? Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Obviously, though, that's not appealing to the young female demographic, and we don't approve of such things. Um, <clears throat> this issue of Catwoman, moving swiftly on from Catwoman's <laughs> breast, was written by Joe Duffy, with pencils by Jim I Like Boobs Ballant, and inks by Dick Giordano. Buzz Setzer was the colorist. Buzz what? But exactly. Buzz Alcacetzer. Bob Pinaja. Pinaha Pinaha was the letter, and Jordan B. Garfinkel and Denny Neal were the editors. The I Like Boobs gag appears courtesy of Michael Bailey. It was released on December 7th, 1993, and it was entitled Animal Rights. Right. Oh, go on, are we, are we before we. a funny name to work on this book. Why? Well, what's, what's funny about Garfinkel? Uh, what's funny about pin, pin, what's funny about yes you do <laughs> apparently uh, so the story begins Catwoman is watching four day old top secret video footage of a number of animals dying in the rainforest of a toxin called Zyklon C so not only do you have to have a funny name to work on the book but they have to have funny, names, have to have in funny names in the book she is shown this by an eco-terrorist organisation Friends of the Earth Nature Magic Alliance <laughs> who she also volunteers for in her alter ego of Selena Kyle I think our two cats should be called Selena and Kyle Okay. But that's just me. They tell her that the big corporate money-making machines that are having a meeting in Gotham this week can't just develop the rainforests, so they plan on introducing this toxin into the air and killing the indigenous population. With them out of the way, instant shopping malls. Nobody's heard of it before because it was developed by FENMA, that's the acronym for Friends of the Earth Nature Magic Alliance, FENMA's own Dr. Job Underhill. Underhill is about to be mugged, but fortunately Batman prevents this and takes off. No small talk or witty repartee from this Batman. Catwoman also leaves, taking with her the gadget that she came for, a collar that will amplify an animal's characteristics, also known as Chekhov's gun, with her and heads home. She adopts a bad wig and some baggy clothes and heads back to Fenma as Selina Kyle, just as Underhill shows up telling them he's been mugged but saved by Batman. When one of the Fenma operatives, Dweezel, pulls up a computer image of the new Batman. Selina looks less than impressed. Underhill explains that the muggers were after the Zyklon X, but it needs mixing with another compound, Atrophane, to work, and they would need either him or his notes to make it work. Whilst everyone is distracted, Murray and Doogie... No, it's Marv, isn't it? Whilst everyone is distracted, Marv and Doogie make off with Underhill's notes. After the dopes finally notice, they head outside and note that they have also taken the Atrophane... I said it right first time around. All they need now is the Zyklon C. Catwoman heads over to the location of the Zyklon C and hides it as it's too heavy to move. But on the way out, she's spotted by Batman. Wait, is it Zyklon X or C? I don't know if I called it Zyklon C and then Zyklon X. Let's yeah. have a look. Just turn the light on for us while I'm looking. Zyklon C. I didn't call X. it Zyklon X. Do you want to go <laughs> first on this one, Michael? Before we start, I do love that Catwoman basically dresses down so that people don't know she's Catwoman when she's as Kalina Kyle and what she does is she puts a wig and a pair of glasses on yeah why is that comic book shorthand for now I'm a nerd yeah it's ridiculous go on what did you say about it um first page yes in Catwoman a character whose characteristics are about animals well a cat specifically first page and we already get themes of animal rights well I've not read any other issues of Catwoman other than these two and the two zero-hour related issues. So I can't say if this was a common theme in the book. If you are going to talk about animal rights, it does make sense to talk about it in a Catwoman book. Well, is every other animal-related book? Animal Man? Aquaman? Well, Aquaman it kind of fits in with Aquaman because he lives in the sea. So he doesn't want you polluting the sea, does he? Because he's like you're pissing in his house. <laughs> he doesn't want that, does he? That would be silly. Anyway, carry on. Um... Who are these people there? Right, who are these people speaking this? On page three. Oh, yeah. Dude. Dude. Now you're saying it wrong. Dude. Excellent. Excellent. What's he wearing? Uh, He looks like the the guy on page three is in the middle. He's got long brown hair and a headband and red John Lennon spectacles. There's no one told him that. The The 70s are over. 20 years before this. (laughs) No, nobody appears to have mentioned that to him, judging by his dress sense. Uh, the guy in the blue baseball cap who said, Dude, is wearing a tie-dye t-shirt. Mm. So that tells you all that you, you need to know about him. 
Uh, page 15, panel 1. Page 15. I want that car. That little car, though. That little VW Bug. Yeah. used to see a lot of them in the 70s. With, with that, that colour. Yeah, all decorated, like psychedelia, man. <laughs> Did you never see... If like, you trip VW. and drive this car, it's like a mushroom floating in the clouds. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and also page 16, panel 3. Mm-hmm. Right. That looks like a character from... What if Batman was from the Ultraverse? Issue 1. Red Hot. Artist, the artist rendition on the Gotham News Network of the new Batman has a skull face. It's not a very good artist, and he's got a machine gun <laughs> on his back. <laughs> Would that not hurt his ears when it shoots? He, he got off war machine. Oh, dear me. I, I don't... Yeah, fair enough. Um... I quite like, I do agree with you about the, the stereotyped people on page three. Um, yes, all oh, very... Oh, stereotype. Yeah. What are they stereotype of? Retards. The, no, they're a stereotype of counterculture people, just by the way that they're dressed. But other than the guy in the tie-dye t-shirt, they all seem very 70s and 80s counterculture people to me. If I just offended some counterculture people, I do apologise. Well, your favourite writer's a counterculture agent, so... I, I know. We're going to have to put the Grant Morrison alarm in there, aren't we? Anyway, uh, page four, we got to all of page four before we got a breast size joke. Mm. Oh, dear me. I don't know if that was a running theme, given that I like boobs balanced through this book. <laughs> but Catwoman is amply endowed. It is one of those things that if you drew a man that big in the trouser snake department, would there not be complaints from people? Maybe he doesn't draw them with a big crotch. Maybe he does boobs. Maybe, maybe he does a Rob Liffield Captain America on everyone. Maybe his thing is... Bo- yeah, Rob Liffield. Rob Liffield is big on equality. Let's give him that. He gave Captain America big as breasts as Catwoman. So that's something. He's and tiny power feet. Girl. Tiny little feet. Little tiny feet. Uh, page six. Catwoman says, oh, Job, which turns out to be Dr. Underhill's first name, but could also be a reference to the Hebrew Bible story of Job. The Hebrew has, Bible. The Hebrew Bible, yes. Which has an overall theme of why do the righteous suffer. I researched that. I remember reading a bit of Job in school. Revelations is better. Is it? Yeah. It's got zombies and monsters in it. Has it really? It has, actually. <laughs> oh, okay, it's the best book in the Bible. On page six, the Fenma people seem a bit douchey to me. Catwoman does point this out, to be fair, in her thought boxes. But thinking that animal rights advocates contemplating murder makes about as much sense as right-to-life murderers. <laughs> that was quite funny. Did you read that bit? Yeah. That was Catwoman who thought that. Yeah. I thought that was quite good. Proving that Catwoman isn't a crazy catlet. Well, all right, maybe she is. Page 10, Batman embeds a shuriken in the hand of the thug that was about to shoot him. Once again, I'm not saying that he didn't deserve this. But I don't know that he'll be able to use that hand again anytime soon. Because look how deep it goes in. If you look, if you think of it as shurikens are shaped like bats, it goes into his hand a good 50%. Yeah. And if they're supposed to be razor sharp, that severed a few tendons. And judging by where it goes into his hand, it's only just narrowly missed a vein. Yeah. So he could conceivably bleed out and die from that. Okay. I, I doubt that he does. Because then this Batman would be a murderer. <laughs> Uh, throughout the story, Catwoman mentions that she's living somewhere new because her apartment just gone blown up. Didn't that just happen again? Did it? In Catwoman number one from the New 52. Catwoman's apartment got blown up. Did it? I'm sure it did. I, did, I only read the, the first three pages and the last two pages of Catwoman. Why? Well, because you better read the whole thing to give it context before you can say this is crap. I'm not going to bother reading it. It's Judd Winnick and it's Catwoman and I'm not really bothered. But I flicked through it and the first three pages were of interest and the last two pages were also of interest. See, I like Catwoman. I've always liked Catwoman as a character, to be honest with you. Uh, page 16. I quite like the idea of Robobat. <laughs> I heard that Bane beat him up a while ago. Batman got killed. This all he saved was his brain and a new improved cyborg body. Robobat, dude. (laughs) Oh dear, Catwoman thinks that this ridiculous and doesn't like the idea at all. Page twenty-one. I thought it was very convenient that the canisters were actually labelled Cyclone Z. Yeah. C, sorry, not Z. Oh no, I have so to get out. Them. Here, emergency escape door. Yes. Oh no, it's blowing up. Here, emergency escape window. Oh, um, all in all, I thought this was an okay issue, to be honest with you. I'm never a fan of stories that have environmentalists portrayed as good guys and big business being portrayed as bad guys. 
because it's just such a simplistic viewpoint. Yes, there are big business scumbags, just like there are big businesses that try to look after the environment, and there are environmentalists who go too far, and there are environmentalists who know exactly how to campaign and how not to. It's also very difficult doing these types of stories for the writer to keep an objective viewpoint, and if it's going to be soapbox polemic or preachy, I'd rather they just didn't bother. Yeah. to be honest with you to be fair Ms Duffy doesn't let this get preached but also she doesn't give big business a fair shake does she she doesn't give both sides the argument in this faceless scumbags yeah pretty much we get a brief panel of them and they don't get a look in they don't get mentioned what their idea is we've only got their word for it mm. that this is what they're doing I mean of course it will turn out that that's true because that's the agenda that the writer wants to sell but it would have been nice to have both viewpoints. Uh, the art's great. I like Jim Balance art a great deal. It's refreshing to see a Catwoman comic that isn't cheesecake. And I have no objection to stories that tackle business versus environment as long as it's evenly handled. Uh, yes, Catwoman is ample of chest and buttocks. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But at least she's not popping out of her top. She is covered from head to toe. Yeah. But Batman, he's, he's got... Really implausible spiky gloves. Oh, what, on the cover. Well, oh, he's always it's, it's a bit thingy. It's a bit late to be pointing that out. A bit. He's just really <laughs> On that cover alone, he's got to break his bones at least three times to get the. He has got position. Freddy Krueger hands on the cover, but the point of the cover is it's symbolic. That's not a real representation of Batman chasing Catwoman. He doesn't really... Well, see, I didn't notice that his implausibly spiky gloves of death were any more implausible the, than usual. They look like Yeah, knives. on the last page, they do look like knives. But we have pointed out before how the hell could he pick stuff up with that. Like that bit in Family Guy with a frog. Yes. That was Catwoman 6, which we hope you enjoyed. More than we did. <laughs> You can enjoy it for the both of us. Yeah, well, I didn't mind it. It wasn't awful. The story carried on in Batman 503 that was actually released upon the world on November 16th, 1993 with a January 94 cover date. So almost three weeks before the Catwoman story that precedes it. That's a remarkable piece of planning, isn't it? Yeah. So, anyway, I didn't release it, it's not my fault. The cover by Kelly Jones has an absolutely fantastic image of Batman swooping down over a rather dilapidated section of Gotham City with the bat signal in the background. My only complaint about that is the Batman logo covers the bat signal, which is great. I need a tiny bit. Yeah, Catwoman's in the foreground with exceptionally good childbearing hips and a very ample bottom. To be honest, the Catwoman foreground takes away from the excellent background because your eyes are attracted to Catwoman's shapely thighs rather than the wonderful colouring job on the background bit. I like the sky in this. Mm. That kind of dark green turning into dusk. Well, Gotham can, because Gotham's Gotham City, isn't it? The story is called Night Becomes Woman. It's written by Doug Mensch. Mike Manley was the artist. Adrian Roy and Ken Brusenak coloured and lettered. Jordan B. Gorfinkel and Denny O'Neill edited. And the Batman is credited to having been created by Bob Kane. This one picks up exactly where the last one left off. After witnessing Catwoman leaving the wharf, Jean-Paul is captivated by her and heads back to his bunk to be alone with his dreams. Shameful dreams, he informs us. <laughs> he heads back out the fall. I wonder what he means by that. Shameful dreams? Mm. Well, he is from a religious type, isn't it? What is it? So what? Well, well, what are you trying to say, though? They, they... Do they consider it shameful yeah. to look at a woman and think, Pwah! <laughs> That was very sexist, wasn't it? <laughs> I believe in that, in. Um, <laughs> he heads back out the following night. Uh, that was with irony, just in case anyone doesn't get it. He heads back out the following night answering the signal. I turned it to Benny Hill sketch. <laughs> and Bob Todd lusting after some young woman in short skirts. Oh, it's 1976 all over again. Batman heads back out the following night, answering the bat signal. Gordon tells him that Zyklon C went missing last night from the same area where Batman saw Catwoman, and with the upcoming summit, this could be trouble. Combined with atrophane and released over the city, it could cause many deaths. Batman overreacts to the news, vowing to bring her down. Yeah, of course he does. Gordon, aware of Batman's complicated relationship with Catwoman, is confused by his overreaction, especially as Catwoman's never shown any tendency towards this kind of crime before. 
Jean-Paul heads back to the cave to research Catwoman and the Cyclone C. I put X again, haven't I? He finds out all the stuff we found out in Catwoman number 6 and takes off fearing that she is selling it to the highest bidder and heads back into the city and plants motion detectors and three different chemical supply warehouses throughout the city. Catwoman, meanwhile, is now up for 20 kilos of benzotrilene, as that is the closest chemical match to Cyclone, Cyclone C, so she can swap the two. Breaking into a chemical warehouse, she triggers one of Batman's motion detectors and he's swiftly on the scene. He prevents her from stealing the benzotrilene, but she notices straight away that this isn't the same Batman. After a brief fighty McFightenstein, Batman lets Catwoman escape. Granted, she gives a pretty good account of herself with the benzotrilene. He follows her at a distance. Oh, dear me. What did you think of this one? Right, what, what, the, it was painful to read this issue. Was it? Yeah. Did you not like this one at all? Has Jean Paul never seen a woman before? I'm getting no. Right. Would be the answer to that question. Well, I'm getting that he maybe seen them. Yeah. But he's never seen one, <laughs> if you know what I mean by this. Because he is, you know, it's not even one page in. And Jean-Paul is getting very intrigued by Catwoman. Now, obviously, red-blooded male, obviously a bit sexually frustrated, and obviously Catwoman is certainly portrayed in these books as being the sexiest woman to ever walk the world, let alone in Gotham City. So it's a bit understandable that he'd be a bit, you know, what's it with her? Especially given that Bruce Wayne is as well. Let's be fair. Yeah. Bruce can barely keep the stirrings in his utility belt to a minimum when he's dealing with Catwoman. Uh, at least Bruce doesn't say anything about it, though, or don't go all... No, he just nails her on a rooftop. <laughs> yeah. Which I suppose is probably more healthy mm. than uh, than what Jean-Paul's doing. So, yeah, go yeah, look, I just found a new gadget. Yeah, fair enough. Um, the bat condom. <laughs> Uh, page four, panel one. I wonder if Maybe. he keeps some of them in his <laughs> utility belt. <laughs> Be prepared for every eventuality, Bruce. <laughs> Bad condoms. Why have DC never marketed them? I don't know. Uh. <laughs> have you heard my joke about the JLS ones? Oh, uh, no. I think it's rather funny. JLS condoms. Yeah, they need them. Anal sex is the highest risk. Oh, get on with it. Uh, page four, panel one. Page Maybe four. I'll dream about her. I hope he's got a spur change of bed sheets. Yeah, well, he's kipping in the cave, isn't he? Mm. So where, where does he sleep then? He, he's got a little like bed sit cot type thing in the back cave, but he doesn't go up in some way manner. He is kipping down in the does cave. Does he not sleep in the bat plane? In the bat train? <laughs> maybe he does. Maybe he's made the bat train comfortable. <laughs> Um, also when Gordon says never really hurts her victims even avoids contact with them anyone who's played Arkham City would know that that's a flat out lie it's a flat out lie in the game where she's quite happy to scroll scratch people's faces off yeah but in most comics as well like in Hush she has a big massive brawl with Robin and kicks the crap out of him well was this not post post crisis revisionism that Catwoman was this exceptionally good cat burglar who by and large stayed out of people's ways for the most part um, say the. I don't want to keep coming down on Doug Mench's issues of Batman, but they're just not as good as Chuck Dixon's at the minute. I mean, I know that will improve. I mean, it'll get worse before it gets better. Trust me. Oh, great. But it does get better. But and then the art in this is a bit of a mixed bag as well. The back signal on the top of page five is excellent. As is all the shots of Gotham, of uh, sorry, of Commissioner Gordon on top of Police HQ. He does a really good job, Mike Manley, with Commissioner Gordon. But where Manly falls down is his action scenes, which really don't flow very well. I mean, it could be that he's having to draw this ridiculously stupid Jean-Paul suit. And the figures look a bit stiff and, and dull. I mean, credit where it's due, there are no page numbers on this, but there's a middle panel of the fight where Catwoman starts beating on Batman, where she flips backwards, that's quite well done. Um, page six, recurring theme throughout these Nightfall issues, Gordon is summoned to yet another pointless waste of time meeting with Mayor Kroll, who is, let's be fair, a proper politician, in that he's only interested in the polls, and the new Batman is scoring high in the polls, so he's hitching his wagon to that star, so he's just hitching his wagon to whatever's popular, mm. rather than actually being genuinely concerned about the people he's supposed to be representing. He's very similar to Mer Quimby from The Simpsons. Or mm. a Man United fan. Or a Man United fan, <laughs> yes. Um, I like the quick glimpses of Wayne Manor that we get in this. It's all darkness and cobwebs and the bricked-up door to the house reminding us that Bruce is gone. And possibly 
not coming back. Benzotrelene is real. Is it? Yes, it's a solvent. Atrophane and Cyclone Z, C, X, whatever, are not real. Right. But it did, I, 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 I looked at Benzotrelene because it so reminded me of that ridiculously named grail from that episode of Star Trek. Quad, okay. Quadro Triticale? Why do I remember that? <laughs> it's the grain that the Tribbles all eat. Oh, okay. And I, I thought Benzotrelene just reminded me of that. I don't know why, because it's got completely different letters in a completely different order. But whatever. Batman has a bat signal on his chest, like a torch. Like the spider signal. Yes, very reminiscent of the spider signal. I thought it was pretty cool. You didn't like that last time, did you? No. You thought it was a bit I dumb, didn't you? Batman who has a torch on him. It's a bit <laughs> crap. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, I love, love, loved that Catwoman knew straight away that this wasn't Bruce. I thought it was really cool. Um, I forget. Did post-crisis Batman and Catwoman have a relationship? Like pre-crisis and Earth 2 Batman and Catwoman? I think so. Because in the pre-crisis Earth 1, Earth 2 stuff, Bruce Wayne married Selina Kyle, didn't he? Did he? Yeah. In the Earth 2, Bruce and Selina were married. Okay. And they quit being Batman and Catwoman and <laughs> got down to the business the of making stuff, bat babies. In the early stuff, he couldn't choose between Batwoman or Catwoman. So he, he lured them back into his bat cave together and they all got happy. I don't believe that happened in a 1950s no, Batman story at all. Have you made that up? No, no, see, you lure them into the back cave so they can make him food. How was that? Right, fair enough, yeah. Get in the kitchen, the woman. <laughs> but I want to fight crime. You will fight. I can't fight crime on an empty stomach, woman. <laughs> Clean my back cave when I'm gone. The birds they feed it. It's the 1950s, was it? Yeah. Oh, Did you tell? Yes. I love, the, there's a great scene in this where Catwoman emasculates Jean-Paul, claiming that Bruce Payne, Bruce Payne, Bruce Wayne positively oozes sex appeal, whereas Jean-Paul is completely devoid of it. Ooh, okay. bitch slap. <laughs> uh, as with the best Catwoman Batman stories, Mench wraps up the sexual tension with numerous references to bondage, going down, penetration <laughs> and technique. Did you get all of that? I got a few. Because I thought it was all pretty well done. I thought it was much more subtle than the more recent stories featuring Batman and Catwoman and probably we just have them on the sex yeah it's, and it's, it is a bit more subtle than I'm making it sound to be honest with you it isn't quite as salacious as I'm making it appear but you know comedic effect uh, from the standpoint of just reading Batman this does lead the reader to believe Catwoman may be guilty although the Catwoman issue shows us she's innocent from the get go it's good to see Jean-Paul start interacting with Bruce Wayne's rogues gallery and it's especially good that they're not at all fooled by this this Batman. Uh, interesting little side notes about these two issues in terms of advertisements. Robocop 3 had a Genesis NES game. Robocop Terminator we mentioned last time. It's, most of the ads in these are for games. And seen as video best of the best. That was quite good. Lobocop. Oh dear me. <laughs> uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm gets an advert again. I think the adverts in Batman 503 are exactly the same, except there's one for Wayne's World 2. Party on. Excellent. Okay, we're just going to take a break here and we'll promo somebody else's fine, fine podcast and we'll be right back. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Bailey. And this is the trailer, with a truly epic ending, to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled, Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until... Well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories, just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU. It is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more. 
will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at baileysbatmanpodcast.com. said Mongo, didn't he? That's wrong character, wrong universe, and wrong galaxy. Hold on just one sec. Ah, here we go. Flash Legacies, a podcast connecting the adventures of Wally West, the third hero to be known as The Flash. Join me, Dave Walker, in my bi-weekly journey as I look at Wally's career from when he first donned the mantle of the Flash all the way up to the return of Barry Allen. Find me at flashlegacies.limpson.com And we're back. Well done. Yeah, I'm very good at that. Uh, The story went straight into Batman 504, in which our amply bottomed anti-hero is pinning down the Darker Knight and giving him a good thrashing with her whip. (laughs) <laughs> that's what she's I'm not making that up that's what the cover is oh dear it's not Kelly Jones's best cover this to be honest with you um, Jim Ballant draws Catwoman really quite pretty mm. and as well as shapely Jim um, Kelly Jones makes her look like a man he's not best in the face Catwoman. I don't mean yeah. the body maybe a man post op <laughs> possibly uh, no it's not a great cover that Women's one is not his best no no, not in the slightest bit. Uh, it came out on December 14th, 1993, so reading the issues chronologically rather than in this reading order, Catwoman's Innocence is more in doubt. It had exactly the same creative team as last time and was called Dark Dance. After a brief appearance from Obi-Wan St. Damas, Batman gets back to the business at hand of following Catwoman. He sees her taking off in a tugboat called the Sea Queen and hitches a ride. Catwoman tries to throw him off in between Jean-Paul's narration boxes where he can barely contain himself about how magnificent she is and successfully dishes both Batman and the boat grabbing the benzotrelene and leaping ashore before the boat crashes. The boat explodes but Batman emerges unscathed and continues his relentless pursuit of the Catwoman. The explosion, however, has caught the attention of Bullock and Gordon and they head to where Catwoman and Batman were last seen whilst Batman finally catches up with them. In the Tuscany Art Building, Catwoman drops the benzo benzotrelene as bait for a trap which the Batman duly falls into. Catwoman strikes, knocking a gargoyle sculpture into Batman, which falls through a large window onto a passing police car, which, of course, has Bullock and Gordon in it. They call for air support and a SWAT team as the Bat and the Cat <laughs> dance with each other. The swatting the bat and the cat, I quite like that. Batman pulls out when Gordon's crew arrive, unable to tackle the Catwoman decisively. With Catwoman surrounded, the police move in. I know that you don't really have much to say about this one. Well, I didn't really have much to say about it. I, I, I didn't think this issue was all that good. And the, the art was uh, good in places like that first one. Like the opening splash And I do like the St. Dumas. Do you like yes. the Dumas? No, I like the red. I, I like that he's called Dumas, because <laughs> that's almost dumbass. <laughs> I quite like that. You like I, the, I like the red. I have a question guy. about that panel. That's all colouring, isn't it? Yeah. So does the artist? How does the artist draw that? Maybe. How is that done? Maybe they draw it, but don't ink it. You think so? So it's penciled, and then the colorist colours to the pencils, and they don't bother inking it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's. I can see that. Yeah. That's a good idea. That. Or maybe they ink it in red. Possibly. Yeah. Okay. All right. Can fair you enough. ink in red? I don't know. That's why I was asking you because you're the arty type. Well. I... I can, but I don't know if you can in professional comics. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Um, but it, it was just a long fight scene, which was just boring, and Batman poetically thought about Catwoman. I don't think he was thinking poetic thoughts, to be honest with you. Um, I've got a bit more to say about it. Page four. 
We've established that the containers stolen by Catwoman are hidden in the boat, but the angle that the boat turns at the top of this page must surely mean that they would be spilt all over the waterfront, though. If you look at that, the boat's almost at a 90-degree angle. And it's only on the back right of it. Yeah, so, so that's not falling out, is it not? Anyway, the art at the bottom of page 7, with the Batman emerging from the burning wreck of the boat, is fantastic. Mike Manley uh, kit puts it in the back of the net, though. That's really good. The colouring's great on that panel as well. Yeah. Which is a common thread when we're talking about Adrian Roy. I was a big fan of Adrian Roy. Uh, essentially, I'm agreeing what you said. Page 18... Page 18, sorry. Page 8 through page 22 are essentially one long chase and fight scene, um, which I thought was a bit was jolly good fun, to be honest with you. You didn't like it for that reason, did you? Mm-hmm. Munch makes the fight seem like foreplay. And this actually plays a lot like Mr. and Mrs. Smith movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Have you seen that? Yeah. I've seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith. There's not a great deal else to this issue. Jean-Paul comes across like a smitten teenager without the maturity of experience to talk to the object of affection. So he falls back on the pulling on her pigtails approach. Catwoman. Approach like that. There is, yeah. When you pull the pigtails of the girl that you fancy when you're in primary school because you don't actually have the maturity to be able to just talk to her. Oh, right. Uh, Catwoman, for her part, knows she's playing with him and can't help herself, even though she's got no interest in this interloper. There's not a lot else to say about it. It's a fun read. It's not as good as some other chapters in this particular saga. But it's it's an okay issue of Batman. There's a good letter in this from Aldo Perdomo. (laughs) What's funny about that? That's his name, Aldo Perdomo. That's a great name. Aldo R. Perdomo. I think that's a great name, that. Aldo. Wasn't Aldo one of the monkeys in Planet of the Apes? I don't know. As well. I'm sure there was a monkey named well, Aldo. I'm not calling down. Aldo Perdomo a monkey. Oh, dear me. Um, anyway, Aldo Perdomo refers to the Batman Adventures book as a fine work of art masquerading as a child's book, which is a pretty good description of that book, especially when Mike Parabet was doing the art. Michelle Kohler also points out what we did, that Nightwing needs to show up. Although Michelle E. Kohler, or Kohler, was a frequent letter writer at this point, and she was a big fan of Nightwing. Okay. Um, Nightwing seems to attract the girls. Uh, change in the adverts this issue. There's a good ad for the Supergirl miniseries, with great art by Kerry Gamill. Much underrated artist, in my humble opinion. And the Superboy ongoing with art by the equally underrated Tom Grummet. Other than that... The ads are all pretty much the same as in the previous issues. They only have like four artists at this time. No! Tom Grummet seems to be doing everything and... If I wish he did! <laughs> at least everything has looked good. The story ambled along at a feline-like stroll into Catwoman number 7, which dropped on January 4th, 1994, with a February 94 cover date. It has an excellent cover by Jim Ballant of Catwoman and Batman duking it out in the warehouse from the previous issue of Batman. Whilst I have to confess I have grown to like Kelly Jones' exaggerated anatomy, it's nice to see a cover from someone who draws regular human anatomy. With two notable exceptions, obviously. <laughs> yeah. at, at least the Batman looks alright. The Batman looks great. See, that's where I disagree with you about saying Jim Ballant can't draw Batman. That's a great shot of Batman, though. I grant you the, the Freddy Krueger-like hands are once again a bit silly. He's, he looks like a puppet. He does. He does look like a marionette. Um, but I like that cover. I like that cover. Like that bit in that um, Monty Python thing. Which one? The Holy Flying Circus. Oh, Holy Flying Circus. Yes. Where they, they're all, where they all turn into puppets yeah. and having the fight scene. Yes. Holy Flying Circus was brilliant. Mm. I really enjoyed that. Uh, this particular story, because this isn't a Monty Python podcast, is called Body Chemistry, and it's by all the same people who did the previous issue of Catwoman, and I mentioned them at the top of the show. Picking up exactly where we left off, right down to the dialogue being the same, Batman leaps out of the warehouse, leaving Catwoman to the Gotham PD. She taps her heels together three times and says there's no place like home, and the collar she picked up earlier is activated, causing her cute little black cat to appear in shadow as a huge lion about to eat Gotham's finest. Catwoman uses the distraction to escape, but not before telling Gordon that the Zyklone Sea is in fact outside, and its recovery can be announced on the news. Marvin Doogie... See said news bulletin, and because they are cliched characters, decide to kidnap Dr. Underhill to force him to make them some Cyclone C. C. <sighs> they find him at the conference building and do just that, but not before punching a woman in the face. <clears throat> and these guys think Catwoman's going to be on their side mm. after that. She's going to claw their eyes out. Batman sees the bat signal and heads to Gotham PDHQ, but finds that it's Catwoman who activated it. 
She confesses that she stole the Zyklon C, but to keep it out of circulation, form both she confesses that she stole the Cyclon C, but to keep it out of circulation from both the environmentalists and the committee members. However, she's been outmaneuvered, and the environmentalists have kidnapped the one man who can synthesize more toxins. She needs the Batman. Using the Batmobile computers, they deduce that. Using the Batmobile computers, they deduce which low security sites have the equipment they'll need. The most logical place is a high school chemistry lab. Well, and the bat and the cat arrive just as Underhill has brewed up a batch of chemicals and Marv is about to put a few extra holes in Underhill. Batman stops Marv whilst Catwoman takes off for the trade conference to stop Doogie. Doogie has a TARDIS and beats the dynamic duo to the conference and has already poured the toxins into the air filters. Bullet gets there quicker than Batman and Catwoman and arrests Doogie, but as Underhill didn't synthesise the potion correctly, deliberately, they'll all just have a bad headache instead of being dead. Catwoman escapes, much to Gordon's amusement. Did you like this one, Michael? Well... As an overall, did you enjoy reading this issue of Catwoman? the Catwoman's in this story was a bit dull, even if we didn't miss the first issue or so. How did we miss the first issue? Because I presume from what I read in the first Catwoman issue we covered that it started in the story before. Well, it's part of Catwoman's ongoing book, so there's going to be subplots from the Catwoman book that we're not familiar with, because we don't read it, but this is the first time she's interacted with Jean-Paul. I I think it's dull. Okay, fair enough. Um, On page four, panel four and five, did the letterer make a mistake? Why? Because that blonde kid goes, what in dot 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 question mark explanation yes and then Montoya says what in dot dot oh right yes well that's 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 not the the first mistake in this really the continuity by and large between Batman 504 and Catwoman 7 is really good the dialogue and character locations are pretty much spot on but with one notable exception the African American guy who yelled freeze at the end of Batman is nowhere to be seen in the Catwoman issue. They're all white. And the guy who yells freeze there is a white dude. Oh, I wonder how many letters were sent in about that. Oh, that was just a mistake. It may be just a colouring error for all I know. I don't know. Granted, the African-American guy who says freeze completely disappears in the last two panels of the Batman issue as well. So maybe in between panel, he said freeze! And then said, oh, just got to go to the toilet. And took off just before this issue took place. So, you know. Uh, page 22. Yes. Uh, Bat- is Batman really shit? Gives me that <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll talk about that more when we get to my note in a minute. But yeah, yeah, we're going to mention that. Um, the first thing I want to mention about this, a high school chemistry lab is the best place to go and cook up. Apparently. Up with Walter White in Breaking Bad and these guys. What are they teaching them how to do in American high school chemistry <laughs> classes? I want to go. <laughs> How to cook crystal meth. Oh dear me. Page 17. There's a real time discrepancy. Page 17. There's a real time discrepancy in this book. That I alluded to in my synopsis. Doogie leaves with the chemicals. Batwoman and Catman arrive. Catman? Batman and Catwoman arrive as Marv is about to ventilate Underhill. Marv tells Batman that Doogie left 20 minutes ago. 20 minutes?! What did Underhill and Marv do for 20 minutes? Sat around. Sat around, watched some TV. Every time I type Doogie in this, I wanted to finish it with Howser MD, which is a reference you're not going to get, no. judging by the blank expression on your face. Doogie Howser MD yeah. was a television show in the, I want to say, early 90s, but it may have even been the late 80s, starring Neil Patrick Harris. You know who he is, don't you? Yeah. Dr. Horrible. Yeah. As uh, Doogie, the titular Doogie Howser MD, who was a teenage boy who was a prodigy who'd already qualified as a doctor. Okay. I, by and large, remember it has been pretty crap, <laughs> but I could be wrong. I don't think I ever watched more than a handful of episodes, to be honest with you. Um, I thought this was really quite... Um, I mentioned in my recap to the last Catwoman issue that I don't like stories that don't offer both sides of the argument in a decent enough way, especially when they're dealing with issues like this that are torn from today's headlines. We've all heard of the pro-lifers that shoot doctors who perform abortions and the enviro terrorists that kill people to save plants, just like we've heard of numerous big companies put their profit margins ahead of safety or environmental concerns. And it's easy to side with the underdogs in stories like this. But not all big business is bad. Just like not all environmentalists are nutters. No. 
because we consider ourselves to be environmentalists, don't we? In the sense that we absolutely despise people who throw litter on the floor. Uh-huh. To the point where your mum has actually almost gone and punched somebody in the face once for chucking a Mars bar wrapper on the floor and not picking it up when there was a bin just yeah. just two feet ahead yeah, of it. It does annoy me when there's a bin, though. Yeah, and we dispose of oil properly when we do oil changes on the car. But in this story, Doogie and Marv are the worst kind of storytelling ciphers. Doogie's been led on by Marv, who's really only interested in killing people. He's not hes not interested, really, in his cause. There's none of the complexity inherent in, say, a similar Raish al Ghul storyline, whereby the reader sympathises with Raish's goals and sees his point, and crucially, within the story, so does Batman. But ultimately, his methods are questionable, and he needs to be stopped. That's not to say these issues can't and shouldn't be covered in a comic book story. And let's be, as we've already said, Catwoman's the perfect place for an animal rights storyline. But it shouldn't be handled in such a simplified and simplistic manner, in my humble opinion. Uh, In addition, Michael's already mentioned this earlier on, we're treated to a god-awful comedy ending where Batman shakes his fist at Catwoman like some cosplay Dr. Claw yelling impotently at Catwoman that I'll get you next time, Gadget! Whilst Gordon laughs like He-Man at some stupid stunt that Orko's just pulled as the credits roll. And we all talk about what we've learned. Well, what I learned was that Jim Ballant likes boobs. <laughs> Catwoman is apparently the sexiest woman to ever wear a cat suit, and everybody thinks so, and if you don't think so, you're wrong. Jean-Paul is sexually frustrated, and Catwoman stirs up feelings in his utility belt, and that Chuck Dixon does these kinds of stories much better. That's my humble opinion. Did did you get... Well, I don't know if you did, but I got a bit confuzzled here. Yes. By the ending. The, the ending. See, uh, her through a megaphone. Yes. It's all spiky and yellow. Yes. And then there's Catwoman, we'll meet again in spiky and yellow. I thought that was Catwoman, but it was placed next to Batman. No, it's Batman know. shaking his fist. I'll get you next time! Them dukes, them dukes! <laughs> it's just an awful comedy ending is yeah it may be i mean looking at the it does look like it's a balloon panel replacement mm. but maybe and i'm just no prize in this maybe john paul has an amplifier in his suit because <laughs> let's be honest given the distance that she is away from batman at that point mm. and she's using a megaphone to talk to him there's no way she'd hear him mm. if he was just talking normally so you could no prize it away like well, that how, do you, how does he speak through that mask anyway Everything sounds like this. You can't tell what he's saying. So everything, yeah. So you would be able to tell what he's saying, would you? Yeah. Although Iron Man, although Iron Man has a slit in his mouth, doesn't yeah. he? So you can actually understand what he's saying. That's fair enough. In what last that? week's, <laughs> he's confronted a bad guy. And the bad guy's going, "I'm sorry, what did you say?" I said, "Put the gun down. Put it down now." I can't, I can't hear what you're saying. Go on, what? Put the boom, 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 boom. Put, put the what? What? I can't. Smack. And then he just punches in with the gloves of death. <laughs> oh, that never happens in comics, does it? No. No one ever says, I can't tell what you're saying with that mask on and that ridiculous <laughs> voice. But what? What's going on, man? You, you're a Mexican wrestler. <laughs> Last week we did mention that we couldn't think of any other good Sylvester Stallone films other than Demolition Man, the Rocky films and the Rambo films. Right. And um, did we mention another one? No, we didn't. Oh. Cliffhanger has an advert in this. It's for a, a game of some description that I don't think yeah, I've ever played. Yeah, said a good Sylvester Stallone films. Cliffhanger was good. I enjoyed Cliffhanger. I've only ever seen it once at the cinema. And I remember John Lithgow's in it, if memory serves, doing a god-awful British accent. Is that the one where like, it ends with him climbing up a cliff and there's a helicopter? Yeah, that, that would be why it's called Cliffhanger, presumably. But uh, I remember it being good. Yeah, the girl from Northern Exposure was in it. I can't remember her name because you've, you've never seen Northern Exposure. No. So there you go. There's another Sylvester Stallone film that didn't suck moose. Oh, dear. Swear to Sorry, what did you say? <laughs> Finally tonight, today, this morning, this afternoon, whenever the hell you're reading this, really, you know, reading this? You gotta read a podcast, <laughs> listening to this drivel. Um, we're gonna have a brief look at what Robin was up to in Robin number three, which came out on December 7th. That's 
days after my birthday. Yes, but you were born in 1993 and was called Clueless. Another great cover by Tom Grummet and Ray Kreising of Robin in front of a bunch of wanted posters of the crims that escaped in last month's issue. It was again written by Chuck Dixon. For some reason I've written Cook Dixon. With, <laughs> at least I didn't write Cock Dixon. Without, by the aforementioned Grummet and Kreising. <laughs> Very briefly... Robin has broken up for the Christmas holidays and stops a few petty criminals. The Clue Master and his pals Zonk and the Electrocutioner are staying at a divey hotel and are planning to hit an armoured car, but when Electrocutioner loses his temper with the clerk, they have to bail out. Robin, Bullock and Shotgun are investigating, but Robin's investigation is hindered by a new superheroine. And that's pretty much it for that one. It's not really part of the overall Night's Quest storyline, but I'm enjoying this so much that I'm including it, much to Mike's chagrin. Go on, Mike. Well, it's set at Christmas, right? Yes. But the previous issues weren't set at Christmas, and the issue before that was set at Christmas. Were they? Yeah. I didn't notice that. One of the issues last week was a Christmas episode issue. Yeah, well, we're reading this in the order that Wikipedia's told us to read it in that makes more sense story-wise, not the order that the books actually came out. I mean, this will play in again later on. We'll be looking at an issue of Batman yeah. that's showing what Robin's up to, and what Robin is up to is what's happening in that month's issue of Robin... But chronologically, as far as the story is concerned, we're on a different issue. Right. So that's why there's little bits of miss. We will have another Christmas issue yet. Alright. So, so they're not all taking place at the same one? They're all taking place at the same time. But right. you can't read two comics simultaneously, can you? So we're reading this in the order that Wikipedia has told me to read it. Yeah. We should learn how to read two comics at once. Blackest Night would be a lot easier. Yeah, probably more fun. Go on. Um, which of the many shows do you think they're watching on page six? Well, the game shows. Yeah. Uh, which one are they watching? The, See, it's, it's no, not something like Countdown. It's, yeah, but... it's by a vowel, you idiot. So, I do, I do... Is that... Yeah, it's like Countdown, isn't it? It'll be the American version of Countdown, I presume, where you've got to buy letters and... I'll have a constant, please, Bob. Oh, yeah, the Americans have another version of our British TV show. They may have had it first. Uh, and we nicked it off them. They're, they're, you know they're doing Misfits, I think. Yes, I know they're doing an American version of Misfits. And they've got Being Human and... Uh, I've never seen the American version of Being Human, but I do know if they do an American version of Misfits and it isn't on something like HBO, yeah. it's going to suck. Fair enough. Because Misfits is very much geared towards that pay cable audience, isn't it? Yeah. That's not something you can dumb down to show at 8 o'clock on NBC, I wouldn't have thought. Don't Tim and Stephanie, who's the spoiler, yes. end Spoilers. seeing each other? I don't know what happens with Stephanie Brown, to be honest with you, because I've not read Robin after this, but I do plan on picking up the issues, because I'm really digging on this book. You're not liking it at all, Does she die and come back? I have no idea about that either. I don't know about that. I have no idea. I thought that this was an excellent issue all round, to be honest with you. Essentially, it's a holding pattern story, as all the pieces have been moved into place for the climax, but I think Chuck Dixon pulls this off right excellently. The opening splash page... It's fantastic. That's very Spider-Man of Robin swinging over the Gotham City rooftops in the snow. Um, the opening scenes, the first couple of pages, Robin stopping Christmas thieves, is excellently handled. It's yeah, really quite funny. Robin has to do it because Batman doesn't. Yeah, because Batman doesn't do this. Kind maybe of these, thing maybe these criminals are the ones that Batman didn't stop. Well, you just didn't. that's a very good point. These yeah. could be the people that robbed that woman that Batman went oh, I can't be bothered with all of this yeah. yeah that would be a good piece of continuity it was yeah it's very reminiscent of the Conway Andrew Spider-Man where Spider-Man would do stuff like this all the time because at the time Spider-Man wasn't doing all of this stuff because he was angst deep in the clone saga for yeah, everything right. and beating up his wife uh, in fact there's an undercurrent of humour running through this entire book I loved that bit on page 5 where the crook slipped fell caught his feet in furry lights and then smashed his head on a Father Christmas doll. <laughs> I really like that. Zonk wanting a costume and another identity is really funny. And this leads to him sending Clue to the police on motel stationery. Yeah. What a dim bulb. Um, I especially liked the envelope. Did you see what he wrote on the envelope? Yeah, well, the words were backwards. And Gotham City Police Dept. Detectives. Important contains clues, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. The character interaction between Bullock, Montoya, Shotgun Smith, and separately Tim Drake, and the inherent problems in keeping a secret identity are all exceptionally well written. This is much better than our Bendis does it. 
Because yeah. Bendis is on. He, he couldn't personally keep his secret identity secret in real life. It's not real life! Secret identities are part of the comic book fragment of superhero comics. I know you couldn't do it in real life. Anyone who even knows you tangentially, if you're wearing a mask, they're still going to recognise you. That's not the point. Whereas Dixon here is juggling Tim Drake's life quite well without constantly saying, well, he wouldn't be able to do that in real life. Well, in that case, Bendis, don't don't make Peter tell Mary Jane that he's Spider-Man in the first few issues. Oh, I hated that. Everyone raved over a Ultimate Spider-Man 13, didn't they? Mm. Everyone said, this is a great comic, this is a fantastic comic. It was thir- 22 pages of two people talking to each other. God, it was boring. But anyway, we're not talking about that. Uh, there's a theme to this entire issue of identity. Tim is struggling with his. Zonk wants one. Shotgun's reinforcing his in his refusal to cooperate with Montoya and Bullock. And the Clue Master's daughter, Stephanie Brown, is contemplating hers. It's great. I love this. This was my favourite issue of the five this month, by far. Robin and Detective have been both been my favourites of the ones we're covering, and both are by Chuck Dixon. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the artwork Grummit so deserves to be a bigger superstar than he is. There are pages in this that are just fantastic. The first, I've already raved, gushed over the first five or six pages. The storytelling is just brilliant. I love the body language as well on page six where the three crooks are milling around, just lying around watching TV. It's That's fantastic. Yeah. They don't have to be wearing costumes. He's lying on the bed with his feet on pillows. He's reading. Look at it. The body language is brilliant. This is fantastic artwork. Uh, there's a great ad in this as well for the end of Hal Jordan, which apparently was Green Lantern number 50. Have you read that? No. Have you not read that? Is that where he, he starts becoming that parallax? That was the last Hal Jordan issue, yeah. Is that where he dies? Yeah. Before he comes no, back? No, no. That was the one where he just kills all the Green Lanterns. Oh, right. He okay. dies in that final night. Oh, right. Okay. Um, there's a power of Shazam. There's a power of Shazam graphic novel, totally painted hardcover by Jerry Hardware, which I've never read. But if it's painted by Jerry Hardware, I may have to try and track that down because I like Jerry Hardware stuff. And there are Sandman trading cards. Yeah. Have you never wanted to get them? No. Sandman trading cards. I'm, I'm happy reading Sandman and not having trading cards. Because let's be honest, a lot of the art in Sandman was pretty crap, wasn't it? Well, a lot of it was pretty good. Them, yeah. But a lot of it was pretty crap. Uh, anyway, that about wraps it up for this week's episode, which was fantastic, I thought. The Robin one was better this week. Yeah, the, the, issue, the issues were a mixed bag, mm. apart from Robin 3, which was fantastic. And the only problem with this is, I now need to find out how many issues of this series Chuck Dixon run, run, how many issues Chuck Dixon wrote, and where I can find them, because I want to read more. Next time... We will be looking at Detective Comics 671, Detective Comics 672, and Detective Comics 673, Shadow of the Bat 24, Robin number 4, and Justice League Task Force number 5. Justice League Task Force? Yes, because okay. it's got Bruce Wayne in it. Um, I was just about to say something and you derailed my bat train oh, of thought. I'm sorry. What was I about to say? Oh, 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 oh! It's the Joker Does a Movie trilogy! Is it? <coughs> Which is by far... One of the best stories in Night's Quest. I yeah. love that one, and I've already read it, so I know it's still fantastic. Okay. Right, we will be back next week with an all-new episode. See you later. Goodbye. I like Father Christmas, and I like Robin Hood. I like Andy Pandy, and the wooden tops are very good, but I love Batman. Below seven, danger man is out. There is someone super who we all shout about, and that is Batman. Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production. 
and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at apleyland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Oh, hurry, break a bone! It's right, I can't fly! I can't fly.